0: Are you ready
1: yeah okay. count me in in
0: five
1: four three all righty guys welcome to musical osmosis where intelligent dissident thought meets melodic phonious reality i am your musically magnanimous host nick the saucy one cat source, broadcasting to you as always from meth mountain tennessee and i also want to introduce Pushing all the important sanitized buttons from her hermetically sealed bubble in the next room, our marvelous producer,
0: D. Yes, and every day that I have to leave the house, I come back in smelling of Lysol.
1: That's a sexy smell nowadays.
0: Mm, it kind of is, yeah, yeah. And I'm working on my second batch of masks because my first one sucked because I followed the wrong pattern and
1: whoever thought we would be talking about having to make our own masks just and show our papers in this brave new world that were essential are you essential
0: yeah and i do have my papers i really do i have a thing that work sent me that i can print out and has my name on it and i have to take my badge and but really i haven't had anybody like i haven't been stopped or anything yet i mean and we've been on lockdown for about a we no or
1: that two weeks, at least.
0: No, I think they finally put in the mandatory thing. I think it was a week ago today, actually, for East Tennessee. So, yeah, we've just kind of been here and trying not to let the crippling depression hit us all. And <laughs> so that's good, because tonight we're going to have a really cool guest on. So that'll definitely help brighten our spirits, I think.
1: Well, speaking of all things Apocalypse, I have a new podcast with my buddy Andy Gimme that you produce called mm-hmm. Apocalyptic Peanut Butter. We've done five episodes so far. You can catch them on CastBox. We've had Rachel on, just um, Weird Paul, just a lot of really great guests, Jim Bruce. I'm not going to go down a whole line, but we've had a lot of great guests. And we have. A, they're all going to be people I've talked to before mm-hmm. because it's going to be a pretty loose format where we talk with people about the latest news, of everything involving coronavirus, and we talk to musicians in the second part of the show about how their communities are dealing with the coronavirus Um And every crisis.
0: episode, you get Dee's tips for survival. So, And because
1: I'm the pessimist of the bunch, not really the pessimist, let's say <laughs> the realist of the bunch, you right. get Nick's to- we're totally fucked up date every episode. Yes.
0: Too. That's yeah, a nice too.
1: balance. You're the beans to my cornbread.
0: I am. I am. Or maybe I'm
1: the spicy beans that give you heartburn and you're my cornbread. Yeah, that,
0: that could be, because beans kind of give me a little bit of problems now.
1: Mm-hmm. So, well, this is a great dangerous. place to pivot um you're probably wondering where odell is because of the type of work odell does he is working very long hours he's doing his part he is very essential so with that and things going on other things in his personal life he has had to take a short hiatus from the podcast i personally like doing the podcast a lot better with a co-host and odell in particular just because we're Such close friends for so many years, Mm -hmm. and we were having some scheduling issues with everything going on. So I decided this is going to be our last episode until some of this craziness subsides and Odell can get back on a regular schedule. So the other episodes we had planned, they—I've already spoken to everybody. We're going to reschedule when we come back. Hopefully, it won't be more than a month. So this Mm -hmm. is going to be our last episode. However. Oddly enough, as the universe works, this is episode 107.
2: Mm-hmm. We
1: did 77 episodes of Drunken Trivia. We I did like this. a bunch of other podcasts. We did like a dozen or or 15 episodes of or less. Um, we did 104 of Kettle of Fish and 107 of The Ignorance Equation. So next episode, when we come back, it'll be our longest running podcast. We'll be coming back with wow. 108 I've never 7 years of podcasting. How many podcasts? Different podcasts do you think I've done? At least 10, right?
0: At least. Yeah, at least.
1: And I've never reached 108. 107 is my record. So mm-hmm. when we come back, which we have to come back, there's still a bunch of people that you know, we've tentatively got lined up. Uh it will be our longest. We'll be coming back with our longest running episode. Not running yeah. episode, but our longest our biggest episode as far as number wise. Episode 108.
0: Yeah. And we've been I mean, I can't believe we've been doing it that long. Like, it just seems insane to me. We now. were
1: on the forefront. And now everybody like you go to your dentist and the dentist is like, all right, so um just remember to brush and check out with the nurse and we'll get you lined up for six months. Oh, by the way, you want to check out my podcast? You right. gotta go to fucking Jiffy Lube. They're like, all right, um, I rotated the tires and I changed the oil. Here's, Here's your a link slip. to the podcast. And oh yeah, you should check out my podcast. It's all about tire rotation. It's really fabulous.
2: Yeah. Like
1: everybody has a fucking podcast, and especially in now brother. that everyone's home, and a lot of people are what I've been saying out there singing for their supper. So they're either doing podcasts or live stream. It is very difficult for little old Saucy to get his voice out there now above all the static.
0: Yeah, there's just a lot of it. I mean, even like we had Rachelle on the other day and she's doing Twitch streaming and a lot of people are doing that, you know, people that are into video games. Um, I actually know of a couple people that while they were sick, they actually learned to use TikTok, which is a little like, what, really? You, that's a thing now still? Though <laughs> no, that was for like 12 year olds, but apparently. Right.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, this is the brave new world we're in and I posted something today and I You know, I I think it's something everybody should think about. I said I'm terrified to find out what the next new normal is going to be. What's going to be the next new normal? The robot wars? People stealing your DNA and making clones of you? I mean, what the fuck is going to be next?
0: Right. Yeah, it's –
1: Hey, Nick, I saw one of your clones – Uh, Down at the Crackle Barrel today. Is that going to be the next fucking normal? Or, oh, dude, I just wanted to let you know. Yeah, you remember Jim? He was killed by his robot. His robo nanny fucking strangled him when he was watching Tiger King.
0: Oh, God, and Tiger King. Yeah. Yeah, you got to wonder, what are we doing? (laughs) I mean, I get we're trying to distract ourselves as best as possible. And many of us are choosing to shelter in place, stay at home. Um, wear masks, you know, all those things. And that's awesome. And anybody who is, you know, trying their best to follow the CDC recommended guidelines and really kind of try to choose their battles and, you know, research and stuff and what's real and what's not, those people who are are willing to put in that extra work, I got to say, I applaud you because it's going to take all of us or a lot of us, a lot of us to get ourselves through this um, as unscathed as possible.
1: Has it social media at this point though just turned into a bad fucking acid trip?
0: A little bit. Um...
1: How can you tell what is real? I mean, I know what's real because I use my brain. But you have people just saying the most off the wall, insane shit ever. And, and, I, and I always wondered like, I don't, I don't know most of those people. I, I used to know a few people that thought like that, but they're not in my life anymore. Mm-hmm. But when I see these people, I'm like, do you really believe birds are fake? That all right. birds are government drones sent to spy on you? Like it's, every flamingo and sparrow and hummingbird on the planet are a pigeon and And that's the hard part because I know you're
0: saying that in the nicest way possible. But the thing I want to – I keep feeling like when you when somebody has to say something like that is, do you really believe that? It, what I really want to be saying is, are you really a fucking idiot? Yeah, but um, see, if
1: you come at them like that, it just makes them want to believe it more – to own, like, to own the libs. Like, I'm going to shove it in your face and believe it and even harder. Now I'm going to shoot pigeons in the park and take their robot parts and, and build a super pigeon. And you wonder why so
0: keep our mouths quiet. Because so, it, it's, you just can't win with this right now.
1: Yeah, you I don't want can't. to go down this rabbit hole. Why don't you Any- tell everybody where they can find our, by the time you're hearing this, are now 107 episodes. Yeah. Which, when I mean, we just had R.A. Rugged Man, for those of you that are into hip-hop on the show. Mm-hmm. We had Ernie C. from Body Count. I mean, we've had um, Phil from Sacred Reich on, Greg Turner from the Angry Samoans, Kelly Mayo from Skating Polly, Weird Paul. Um, it's a Scott good little spot Q-Man right shoe. now to be
0: listening to podcasts, let me tell you.
1: Anita Sparks from L7. I mean, just a list, especially if you're into punk, because I would say... Oh, yeah. A good solid 60 to 70 percent of our guests are are at least punk adjacent, if not straight up punk. Right. Um, Jughead from Screech and Weasel. I mean, we've just had so many great guests. So now's a yeah. good time to catch up on our 107 episodes before we come back.
0: It definitely is, and just in case you're looking for, or you know someone who's looking for something cool to listen to, you can find Everything Musical Osmosis on SoundCloud, and uh, we're on CastBox with some of our stuff, we're on Apple Podcasts, and we're working on Spotify, I mean... If you want to hear a music interview, just look up Musical Osmosis. Well, I
1: would rather to go to our site because I've also got band reviews there and videos, yes. and all kinds of
0: stuff. And <laughs> you can go to musicalosmosis.com. Um, super duper easy. All of our stuff is there, all of our reviews, all of our. We do playlists every couple of weeks because it's fun. And it's just a really cute, it's a really cool way to just kind of keep up with every little thing that we've been doing. Um, And find out about what we're going to be doing next. So wherever you get your podcasts, we highly recommend you look for us there. But just in case you are new into the podcasting foray, you can also go to musicalosmosis.com, spelled just like it sounds. And everything we do is right there. And it's, it's, we, yeah, we've got a lot of stuff. I love and that is why
1: you're that. the producer. All right. Are we ready to kind of
0: dig ourselves
1: out of this hole and to have um a fun and highly intelligent guest on?
0: absolutely
1: all right let's get him in here all righty guys tonight guest is an accomplished writer guitarist and lead singer of a band that was the soundtrack of many of my young begotten punk rock misadventures his music is upbeat high energy and can make even the most coldest calculating robot smile from the rhapsodic pop punk band the mr t experience frank portman otherwise known as dr frank Frank, ooh, Dr. Ooh. Frank, thank you so much for calling in tonight.
3: Uh yeah, great to be here.
1: Right on. Um before we kind of jump into the music, I have to ask when I'm asking every guest these days just to get it out of the way, how are you coping with the current crisis?
3: Uh you know, uh pretty good. I'm enjoying it, in fact which is I mean it, there's there's moments where you think it the, I think maybe it's driving me a bit mad but then there's the question of how can you tell if you're mad uh you mm-hmm. know you need an outside opinion um but I like it I like the um uh I like how everybody's nicer and there are fewer of them Uh, at least that you, that you encounter. And then I live in, I live in a place, it's not that bad of a place anymore, but I live in, in an area of Oakland that used to be kind of rough. And now it's not anymore, but it still has a lot of just, I guess, ordinary urban hostility everywhere that can kind of wear a person down. And so now that we're all sheltering in our little hovels uh, or at least I am. And the only thing you can do is take a walk, um, which I have been doing a lot of and everybody is smiles at you and waves, but doesn't try to do anything more than that. And I, I've, that's my dream. I've always wanted that the world to be that way. So, uh, so yeah, so that's good. I mean, if it goes on much longer and of course, you know, the whole uh, economy completely collapses and we are uh, back in the stone age, uh, that won't be so great, but until just a nice little I'm reprieve
1: from the mob, from the typical mob yeah. you deal with everything. Yeah, day. I, I just kinda, it's like a little bit calmer. So during this time period, what are you doing? As far as are you getting a lot of writing done? Or are you learning anything new? Or are you like a lot of people are jumping online and learning a new language or learning a new skill set?
3: Yeah, not really. I mean, I, I find that uh, I suppose, ironically, you have all sorts of uh, empty time that's not involved in doing the ordinary stupid things that that someone like me fills the day with. Um, you'd think that you could devote that to a lot of productive work, but in fact, uh, that hasn't really happened uh, to a great degree. You just sort of, I, it's similar to being on tour where you, you know, I used to bring a stack of books on tour to think I'm going to do all this reading and then. By day three, I'm just a zombie and I'm staring off into space, wanting to die. So, the uh, that that's a bit what it is like. But that said, I am uh, doing some uh, doing some writing and working on some songs. I had this stupid idea, one of those ideas you have that is absolutely, definitely, guaranteed not going to happen. But I thought, oh, maybe I could record an album at home and have it be my COVID album, and uh, then I would be like, hoping it would last long enough to finish that. It'd be a race against time to finish it. Um, I, that's <laughs> not gonna happen, but uh, I might give it a shot. I might give it a start because uh, you know I'm just here in this little room. So it's me and a mic and a say guitar. That
1: because i made a point a couple weeks ago i said you just know there're going to be like some coronavirus session albums mm-hmm. coming out of this whole crisis
3: yeah you but you have to you know it's very easy to uh uh avoid <laughs> even even when even when you've just got a little room that you you know it's i i can uh I, i'm i'm not i don't have the greatest work ethic in the world i'll admit to you right right now so mm-hmm. but i do but i do have uh, i do have some ideas and uh uh, who knows what will come of them? I well, as long as you're not,
1: as long as you're not spending your days binge watching Tiger King and playing Animal Crossing, hey. I think you're gold.
0: Hey, hey,
1: yeah,
3: that
0: is my
1: dream. <laughs> I, am <laughs> I'm, I'm not. But that's the
3: other thing where I had all of these uh, movies that I wanted to watch or that I thought I was going to. Like everybody said, you know, I'm just plunging in. Uh, some, someone watched like, you know, the entire series of friends like back to back not that wouldn't be my choice but i have other the i have i'm staring at my room of all these dvds that i've acquired over the years and have watched maybe half of them i thought i'm gonna watch every single one in alphabetical order because i'm kind of a semi-autistic person that does things in those uh, alphabetical uh order in sort nice. of organization and the uh and i haven't i haven't watched one so uh yeah I, I'm not I'm not doing I'm probably not doing this right like if God planned for this uh, thing to uh, stimulate creative people to do their best work if that's just for the sake of argument say that's what happened. I'm I'm letting the divine Creator down because uh, I'm I'm spending a lot of time just being uselessly idle. but as of uh, just a couple days ago, I did start, Recording some demos and so forth so I'm I'm working on some things
0: You're still doing better than me I actually I finally Bit the bullet and signed up for a year of Backstage.com For those of you who don't know if you want To act or do any kind of voice work Or video acting or anything That's probably the best place you're Going to go because that's what Gives you all the jobs but you have to pay for it And um, I paid for a year I about two weeks ago and I have an audition for.
1: Yeah, I mean, you, you've thing. got the um, bug performing in New York.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, I feel you though. I've I've had to um, start reminding all my friends. You know, we don't have to be the most productive people right now. Like, it's just not gonna happen. But you're doing good. That's good. You've you've already started like recording something. Still farther than I've gotten, so you you can be proud a little bit. <laughs>
3: No, I'm 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 very pleased with how it's working out. There you go. I, I, in fact,
1: yeah. everything's coming up Millhouse. All right, let's talk yeah. some music. Right off the okay. bat, I got to thank you, man, for just putting out so many great albums. Like I said in the intro, I can't think of back in the '90s a party or a road trip or some begotten like misadventure that we had that didn't have Mr. T playing. And um, MTX was always playing. Here's the cool thing. Somebody like my brother, whose favorite bands were Jawbreaker and Sam I Am, all the way to my best friend, who definitely listened to a lot more like Propagandi and Against All Authority. I could put one of those MTX records on and the whole room dug it. It didn't matter what like side of the punk thing they were on or even if they listened to punk. You put on a a Mr. T Experience album, and everybody's body's moving just a little bit. And I think that was one of the great things, because I'm a political animal by nature, and I definitely listen to a lot more propaganda to piss bands like that. But you got to balance that shit out. If I only listened to those albums, I'd be insane. So you have to balance it out with something fun and upbeat and something that talks about the other side of everything. And those albums did that, I think, for a lot of punk kids. Well,
3: it's very kind of you to say, uh, we were never very much, uh, uh, we were always a little bit the odd man out in all of the little, uh, circles of the, of the, of the punk rock world, such as it was and whatever it was. Um, we were, uh, so, uh, not, I mean, I don't think that's, that's something to be, proud of necessarily, but it's just is a matter of personality was a little bit quirkier and a little bit different. And I've never been a joiner. So I, you know, I didn't ever want to join a scene or, or anything like that. So we just kind of charted our own stupid path and, uh, and we did some pretty good stuff and people seem to like it to my surprise. Uh, and so we did it for a long time and are still doing it in a, you know, in the, the form that you, uh, do these things now, which is, uh, much more, uh, measured and considered when you in, invest your effort into doing something. It wasn't, it's for not sure. like you, not like you just, uh, climb in a van and uh, to plan to drive around for three months and hope something good happens, which is largely what, uh, our touring was
1: yeah, no way more back. When. We did a whole lot of it on telephone poles anymore.
3: No, no, we did. I mean, there's, you know, the, there's the, 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 the Facebook ads is basically the modern version of taping your flyers to the telephone pole. Um, and uh, fortunately we have people to help us with that, but uh, you know, thanks. Thanks for, uh, I'm you know glad. Thanks for paying attention and thanks for the kind words. Uh, I'm always uh, very grateful to hear that someone finds something of value or use in the songs I've written and the stuff I've recorded. So thank you very much.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And like I said, I think that was a reprieve for a lot of the punk kids who were driving on pure like alcohol and adrenaline all the time. And you could put on a Mr. T experience or screech um, Screech and Weasel or an album like that and just really be like amped up in a different way in a more lighthearted fun way and the way you guys executed it i thought was perfect and i went back and of course preparing for the interview listened to a lot of albums over the past couple of weeks and i was like damn they were good and i mean still are but listening to the albums of my youth that's where my connection is made
3: uh, as as it all as it always is they say you they say your favorite music is what you liked when you were 13 that's more or less true with me uh as like with a lot of people then it's always great to go back to it um it's what i enjoy the most so i I get
1: it so let me ask kind of mind frame when you guys were starting out did you have any kind of because you seem like a very articulate intelligent well-measured person did you have any long-term type of game plan where you like, was there a target audience? Like we're going to play music and we're going to kind of capture this audience. That's kind of been left out over here by itself. Or did you just play what you liked and let the chips fall where they may?
3: No, you'd think that there would have been more of a plan maybe, um, or there, there should have been, and there probably should have been, it was not, you know, the only thing we, we, when, when we started, there was no constituency for, uh, for the kind of band we were trying to be and very clumsily trying to be but you know basically it was a an idea of punk rock as i first encountered it when i was a teenager which was not sol- not only this but lo- but quite prominently you know uh, rock bands playing pop songs um, and that's what I liked. So we were clumsy at it, but we were trying to do that. But the in the sort of mid '80s, that was not something anybody wanted to hear. And so the only thing that was quote punk about us was a kind of a responding to that hostility with you know, a counter hostility and, you know, like a bit of, of irony and humor, of course, but, you know, just, we were at war with the audience essentially. And we were saying, you're going to listen to these love songs and not the songs about El Salvador or Reagan or whatever it was. Right. Um, and, uh, and we just, you know, we, we would, we would barrel, barrel ahead and do it. And, you know, when we started, like you say, there's no plan on any level. It was just, you show up and you make noise and that often was enough. But then as time went on, I started to, uh, take the songwriting more seriously. When I started to feel I'm spending a lot of time and effort doing this, I might as well make it good because it was very slapdash for the, for a while. And then as I started to try to teach myself to do it properly uh, you know, some good things happened. Some al- things that alienated our the audience that we'd somehow managed to acquire uh, that would happen to. Um, but it was a, you know, it was a, it was a, a voyage of discovery. And uh, I don't know if we, uh, I, I don't know if I'd say it was all worth it, but it did the fact that it did has created something that people still listen to now and uh for fun uh i i my hat's off i i am, there are a lot of there's a lot of stuff that doesn't do that so i'm i'm uh grateful and as I said and kind of relieved at that and it's it it uh at the time, we sure didn't know what we were doing. Um, and then you look back, I'm almost like like you. I go back to revisit those old records, and it's a surprise to me. Uh, you know, the good parts are, oh, that's actually pretty good. And then there's a lot of low points, too. Uh, this was sort of part of history. But um, it's uh, – I had we had a coherent plan, it would have been better, but I'm sure it would have been over within 18 months, like it is for most bands, so – Uh, Maybe it's good. Sometimes your incompetence allows you to uh, to uh, spend more time on your project because nobody's really interested. So when you disappoint people, it doesn't matter that
1: much. Well, I mean, there is something to be said, too, about just kind of being honest and force gumping your way through a situation. And you guys Mm -hmm. have just kind of gone through straightforward and honest. And that's something I think of a lot of punk is straightforward. And that's one thing. I was never one of these like grunge guys. And I'd hear these lyrics like champagne supernova in the sky. What the hell is this dude singing about? But I like straightforward lyrics and I like because I read a lot. Anyways, and the stuff I read is a little bit more lofty and heavy. And when I have turned on a song, unless I'm in a politically charged mood, I like hearing something that's just straightforward and I don't have to like really dig in to relate to it. And your songs just have always struck me and resonated on just such a human fucking level. That it's just very easy music, I felt like to connect to, and I think that's why people cross that spectrum. At least back in those days, when it was blasting everywhere all the time, I think that's why it was easy for people to connect. Well,
3: that's the that's the the, uh, the aesthetic dream of uh, of of songwriting is to is the challenge where you have to uh, make something that is that that is quote you know what they say relatable. People have to hear it and feel that they know what it's about and maybe feel that it illustrates something that they feel personally, but then it also has to be tricky enough or interesting enough, or, you know, there's something other has to be going on to distinguish it from all other songs that, uh, that do that. And, um, that is, uh, that is the, the goal with writing, say Mm -hmm. a love song or a breakup song. And it's not that easy to do. And I've had some pretty good scores on that, uh, um, at that and you know sometimes things fall flat a little bit too you just because you're experimenting and you're trying but uh, you know the the uh, it it there and this is the case with any kind of art I guess it's true with uh, it's true with fiction narrative fiction as well uh, you have to make the reader somehow contrive so that the reader gets it on a level that is personal but that also it's something that they want to find out about so it's the the strange and the familiar have to kind of work together. It's not as it's not as uh, it's easier said than done.
1: For sure. It's a hard needle to thread, right? Because you first you got to get the ego out of the way. Then you have to say something simple, but in a profound way, but also in a way that's totally original that nobody's heard before. Because nobody wants to hear something that's Originality, recycled. A thousand yeah, that's times. Right. that's yes. the hard.
3: That's the hardest thing. That's the hardest part.
1: Yeah, and the way that you guys were pulling it off was a way that I didn't see anybody else doing it. You knew a Mr. T Experience song the second that it came on. I I would guess so, yeah. Yeah, so you guys definitely had, like, that corner. And then, there's something else, too. I I didn't even know you were in a band called Bent Nails, and preparing for this interview, I found the song on this Maximum Rock and Roll compilation, and I was like, damn, he's got a really good voice, kind of like for that snarling, (laughs) snarky type of punk. Why didn't you guys go more into that vein? Because I really dug that sound.
3: You know, that was... I was in, I was in high school and I had a, you know, band, one of the guys in that band was the first bass player of the, of the Mr. T experience later on. Um, and it was just fooling around and we didn't know what we were doing. And, uh, we recorded, uh, on a cassette, like a boom box. We recorded one of our practices and, you know, sent it to maximum rock and roll. Uh, I don't, I don't know if you're familiar with uh maximum rock and roll but it was a kind oh of a, yeah uh okay so they had a radio show they had a magazine they had a radio show and uh it was as suburban kids uh we would listen to it and uh we just sent our our tape of our practice and for some reason it was silly enough and goofy enough and compelling i guess you thought it was compelling in a way the, the so uh you know the Tim Johannon, uh, wrote us back and said you should if you do a real recording of it. We're doing a compilation record and we're gonna we'll we'll put it on there. And you know we thought we thought wow okay this is this is we're, we've hit the big time. It wasn't exactly the big time, but we did go to a studio <laughs> and right. we did go to a studio and record it and send it in and it was on there and it was uh yeah I I don't know um uh I can't even conjure I can't. I can't place myself in the head of the person I was at 14, 15 years old uh, enough to even begin to uh, describe or understand what, what I was thinking or what I was doing. It was just uh, a, it was just, it's just chaos. chaos Right.
1: Just pure instinct at that point at that (laughs) age. I guess,
3: I guess we, uh, you know that, well, the thing is that a, a lot of I've, Uh, I wrote um, I wrote a whole book kind of with uh, this as part of the premise, which is how when you are uh, a teenager thinking about rock and roll music, you a lot the there's just nearly 100 percent of it is fantasy and imagination kind of like not that much more mature than playing Batman or playing cops and robbers, or if you're playing, you know, Rockstar. And, uh, so I used to imagine the ki- kinds of bands I'd have the, the logos and the, the here's our first five albums and here's the track list and here, and, uh, just all kind of notebook bands like that. And I, there was no difference between, the, the imaginary bands and that one that wound up on that compilation, other than the fact that so through the machinations of of Tim Yohannan and Jello Biafra, that it wound up on a record. But other than that, it was completely uh, imaginary fantasy. And then, when much later, uh, you know, 10 years later, uh, when we started doing, uh, when we, my you know, the Mr. T experience had put out some records and done some touring and everything. It was still largely a notebook band. It was, it was a, a fantasy thing where it had, it left some detritus. It left some evidence of its existence, but, uh, the participants, at least I, as a participant, wasn't fully engaged with the fact of what we were doing beyond a, a kind of a playing around fantasy kind of level. And it wasn't until I realized, oh, to my, you know, considerable, uh, distress, that it was a real thing that I may have to explain years later, as I often have to do now, <laughs> that I thought I better, I better learn to do this better. Because, you know, we're just, you just, uh, it was just more or less, a uh, uh, you, you know, okay, um, I've got a band, that means I got to have songs, let's, you know, uh, come up with some songs, I gotta, it's like, you know, you're not really bringing a whole lot of artistic control or ambition to bear on it um and it 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 was enough but at some at at a certain point i decided i would try to you know up the game um but if you go back to my uh my high school self uh
1: there was none of that going on Wow, yeah i mean you don't have you know you're not seasoned you don't have the experience they always say youth is wasted on a young i mean how are you even going to process something like that at 14 15 16 years old yeah, I I just I did I just didn't basically now most kids don't for sure. I mean I was in process and stuff like that into my mid-20s. I was a late bloomer. I was kind of stuck in neutral up until twenty-five, twenty-six years old. And but the kind of, let's fast forward though and talk about when Mr. T experience was playing in the punk world during like a really political era, politically charged era how are you getting along with like your peers as far as playing with some of these other punk bands during an era that was so politically charged i mean no yeah
3: not at all with any of those bands uh the hardcore scene i mean we did play on some of their shows and we were just you know we were completely hated by one and all the bands and the uh and the audience uh and we would you know we would largely I mean that was a reason why we started doing our own shows and not just us there were other there were some like-minded people uh, as it turned out in the what began the Berkeley scene and, the, and what turned into the Gilman project was putting on these self-promoted low-key shows where with you know the quirkier bands uh and you know that sort of taught you that you could do it um but yeah it the i mean i never uh i couldn't relate to the music and i thought that the the political content was mostly bs in um, a lot of those bands and they were feigning an anger at like you know, El Salvador, or I just remember a lot of El Salvador songs, a lot of Reagan songs long after Reagan had left office, there were still Reagan bands, you know? And I just, uh, I, I, it was a different kind of music than what, uh, moved me. And what moved me was, uh, you know, more personal things about songs about being, you know, sad about girls and stuff like that. You know, uh, I found a deep value in the modern lovers that, even though I loved the clash, I couldn't find in the clash because uh, you know, as a suburban kid, Marxism slogans meant nothing to me at all. Right, and, right. And uh I was just uh it it was and it all seemed like a big fake pose to me. And it wasn't that I was mad about it. I wasn't holding Caulfield about it. Oh, you are a bunch of phonies. It was more it just it was be it was outside my uh my world of understanding. Um, and I just decided to, you know, chart my own course as much as I could not knowing what I was doing. And, and so that's why there were so many stumbles, but we had some really you know, hostile shows and I think you get a lot of energy from fighting back against, uh, against hostility. And like I said earlier, that's probably the most punk rock thing about, uh, about the band was just the, it was just a, it was, your, it was the experience of being hated and just saying, well, we're going to play anyway. Uh, and you get a lot of energy from that. And that's a spirit that kind of in on some level carried us through many, many years, uh, uh, you know, even through the time when the kind of thing we were doing had this very unexpected moment of for a few years there being the most popular rock music in the world. Oh, at the time. yeah. And, and even then it was, it was, you know, the, the contrarianism of being the odd man out was, uh, uh, we really never were were able to step outside of that, uh, the that, Position that role, you know, like it wasn't like, okay, green day becomes famous and we're like the poor man's green day. And then we step on this. stage like we won the dance contest. Everyone loves (laughs) us, but we didn't have, we didn't have that. It wasn't like this, at least for me personally, I didn't feel vindicated. I didn't feel, uh, like, uh, I didn't feel like, oh, now my time has come. I just still had this contrarian negative attitude towards everything. I don't know why. Uh, so, uh, once again, um, you know purposely defeating expectations of the audience is not maybe the smartest way to go uh in uh with a, for a show business career uh but that was an undeniable element of uh, of what we were doing for better or worse
1: well I, you know i talked to a few people preparing for the show people that was into mm-hmm. the band when we were all growing up and i think after lookout records closed up shop and this is still kind of pre-internet nobody really knew what happened with lookout we just heard through the grapevine did you hear lookout went under and then Mm -hmm. mr t experience kind of ceased to exist i think you fell off a lot of people's radar during that time and there was a, a 12 year stretch from 2004 to 2016 where you were writing young adult novels and i've read some of your blogs too i went through and looked at some of that what happened with Lookout? And did you just say I'm done for good, or was it just like I'm going to put down the hiatus and go after this other thing, this other no, dream that I want to no, do?
3: No, here's what happened. It, you know, say everyone lost track of uh, of of the Mr. T experience. Yeah, we lost track of ourselves. The whole music business lost track of itself. It there was a time, and we were just at the exact moment. Our Yesterday rules came out. We recorded in 2003 as we'd recorded other. Uh, Other albums and went on tour and expected it to be just like it was with the other albums But somehow everybody in the world got together between 2003 and 2004 and decided no one was going to buy any records anymore and uh, It's not just my band. It's every band and it's not just Lookout records It's pretty much every label Had to figure out a way to cope with a situation where there was no money being spent anywhere on anything So how do you pay for recording? Everyone expects it for free. Everybody gets it for free. So where does this money to record come from? For me, it was just okay. I'll I'll do something else because uh, I was already getting uh uh you know a bit long in the tooth. Uh, I was a kind of a allegedly mature adult, and I was running out of ideas on what to do. So that's when I started with the writing, and then it took a good ten years uh, before not just me uh, other. You know, the, the, gradually people figured out a way to do a much, much, much scaled-down version of the of the various tiers of the music business. Where the tier we were at, us and Lookout, was you know at the near you know fair, quite low, but was viable before 2003, and was zero viability after that. And then um, for for my personal thing, it was that I did I managed to uh, take The literary stuff and then revive the rock and roll and join them together to justify each other's existence for um, for restarting uh, restarting the band as a viable, uh, you know, band that could play and stuff and recording some music and stuff. And the uh, it was that again, I didn't there wasn't a grand design. It was more it wasn't a a real great plan. It was just the sort of thing that, like everything else, I just tried uh, just to see what would happen, and then it wound up clicking and being bigger and better than I expected it to be. But for 10 years there, no one knew what they were doing with rock uh, uh, music. It was, a, it was a wasteland.
1: But the comeback, was that book-related? Like, was it inspired by King Dork and you wanted to do something to accompany so, that? Or was it yeah. musically Here's, inspired, like, I've got to play again? See, well,
3: it, it was... So my wow. the the sequel to my first book, my first book, King Dork, uh, uh came out in two thousand six and then the sequel to it came out in two thousand fourteen. And I had always tried to put some kind of musical stuff as I thought, you know, it was Promotion it was I'm was gonna do this promotal promotional extra thing just to have things to link to and so forth so I usually recorded a theme song for i recorded a theme song for each of my books and uh, This time around I thought rather than just ha- Do it in a half-assed way that I'd done before I would try to record it for real And so that was the you know, the the get the band back together just for this one time uh, to uh, record this one song and we did it and there was just something cool about it while we were, it was a, it was a, a new drummer, same two other guys. And it was just, whereas I thought it was, we would just be just doing it as a, like a, a one-off promotional thing. And they were doing me a favor to participate. And halfway through the, uh, the practice, which was at the recording session, we, you know, ran through the song kind of all four of us sort of realized, Hey, this is actually kind of like a band. And then that led to, um uh, the next step, which was to record songs that were from the two King Dork books. And that was the album King, Pro- King Dork approximately the album right. that, uh, that, that came out. So those are all songs from the books that is songs that are, uh, derived from, Songs written by the narrator of the book that are referred to in the book that I wrote and we tried to play as though we're almost the conceit was that we were covering the songs that the main character Tom Henderson had written and and had alluded to. So that was a kind of interesting thing that we did. And it was originally a download that was supposed to come with a paperback edition of the book, uh, which it was. And that's why we called it a, a book and an album, a Balbum, which sounds really stupid. But I tell you, <laughs> people really like it. Um, and then I had, uh, in the meantime, uh, started working with Chris Thacker, who used to do uh, in records and had a new idea for a new sort of label merchandising thing. It's called sounds radical. And we worked up some uh, uh, plans to put out actual records, which I was astounded that it was possible to do I mean actually phys- physical records which has always been the real one D- digital music doesn't seem quite real and I would say it's not in many people's worlds because it just gets lost in this vast sea of of, of uh, data um, and but I like a piece of music you can trip over and I thought it was not possible to do that but we started doing it and this is one of those things that is the new the new model of putting out rock records for, uh, you know, artists who are not mega popular, uh, but have some kind of, uh, I'd say a cult following is you release these, you release these deluxe, Uh, editions of your records for a very limited number of people that really want them so that that's the thing for them to buy that is interesting because no one buys the music for the music anymore they still don't do that and so in fact i think a lot of the people that buy the special deluxe edition records listen to it on spotify as well Uh, but it's a it's a strange sort of a business. It's, it's sort of souvenirs like tchotchkes that you're, uh, that you're creating, but we have been trying to make them as beautiful and as, as nice as possible. And it's a very satisfying thing to do. Uh, even, you know, it's a, it's a small scale, but it's basically viable and, I'm um, and it's, it's great to be back to, great to be back to doing it. I realized that I missed it, uh, when I spent 10 years away from it.
1: Well, I'm gonna play my favorite Mr. T experience song, which isn't on MTX Forever, which tells me since that album was picked from songs from a poll, I'm a weirdo, but my favorite song was always Are You There, God? It's me, Margaret. So we're Really, play- that is an
3: unusual opinion
1: yeah I mean, it's so, I mean for one, just the content of it is so amazing, and then two, the upbeat of it, I mean it's a, it's one of those songs once again. it just resonates and it grabs you, and I just saw and I thought the singing on it was excellent too. I mean, the singing just to kind of like yeah, I got like the kind of growl of it. I always like the whole thing just always resonated with me, and then I went through and looked at that poll and saw the songs that made on mtX forever, and I was like, man, I'm a fucking weirdo. Like almost none of these songs that are on MTX Forever are my favorite Mr. T experience songs. Except well, for thank you, even Hitler. Adicle.
3: I was gonna say, thanks for the compliment um, about the song. There's so many songs, and there's so many uh, different ways of looking at it that uh, there's wild disagreements on what the on what should have gone on that record. But uh, uh, there were some also, you know, the obvious choices, and then I found that when I was when I had added up all the obvious choices, there wasn't a whole lot of wiggle room around, uh, around uh, that, but I'm, I'm glad someone I can imagine. are you there God? It's a, it, I think that for most people, that's a pretty deep cut.
1: Before uh, we hit the magic button, anything you want to tell us about that song before we play it?
3: Uh, well, I will say that uh, the original conception of the album that is, that it was on was going to be songs that were all uh, uh, based on or sort of Uh, Alluding to or related to children's literature about uh, girls coming of age and uh, very little remnant of that concept was left over by the time we ended up uh, recording because, you know, we were just not, you know, we weren't we weren't Pink Floyd over here. We couldn't have a uh, this concept and then spend a year doing it. We had very little money, so we just went in and did what we could manage to dash off. And the concept thing didn't happen. But that song is one of the vestiges of it.
1: All righty. Fair enough. Hit it, D. Alrighty, guys, we have returned with Dr. Frank from the Mr. T Experience. Um, Frank, I want to talk to you about your latest album, MTX Forever. Revisiting these songs and for Shards as well, what was it like going back? We had some of these songs you hadn't even heard of in their original content for 10, 20, 30 years?
3: Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, although it was a long process to work up to doing it, so I, which I started – back in uh, uh quite some time ago, but the thing that made the difference was realizing uh if we're gonna do it right, we had to track down the that, these tapes and to learn to i was very i was Shouldn't have been so surprised, but I was surprised and I was dismayed by the fact that there was very hard to to locate these tapes and no one really knew where they were and it was a it took years to track them down. Uh, but then there was a uh, when we finally did in most we found most of it, some of it's still missing. But uh, listening to The real version, which I had never done since the time and not really even that carefully back in those days uh, was that was really something else because uh, there's so much more uh, information in the audio on the original tape than in the kind of cheaply quickly. Uh, done records that we put out That frankly I never listen to I don't listen to my own music for fun You know just for sort of diagnostics And sort of trying to to Persuade myself that it's not as bad As I fear yeah. um, and then I Leave it alone for forever um, But when I would go back To try to revisit some of this stuff To learn how to play it if I was going to play Trying to remember how the songs went I would just do what everybody else was i go to YouTube and look it up And the difference between the uh, you know, a, a mix on a half inch analog uh, tape pre-processing and what you hear when you go to the YouTube to listen to what to something ripped from one of those old CDs is like night and day. Yeah. And they're, they're so that said. was very interesting. You hear a lot of there's I mean, it's mostly pleasant surprises because there's stuff on those recordings that I couldn't hear on the the other Uh, released versions and sometimes it's not so nice because you know, the greater definition also is great. It applies to everything, the good and the bad. So sometimes you can hear some pretty uh, ugly marginal stuff uh, and you can hear it very well rather than sort of dissolved in the distance. So um, that was another thing. It was, it it was weird. I would say that I was pleasantly surprised by how much of it I thought actually did hold up as as rock recordings and also as songs, uh, which I was really prepared for the worst. Um, and, but you know, uh, it, it was, a uh, it, the first question when we started doing these projects that I always had in my head, this is very time consuming and very expensive. Uh, is it worth it? And I think it was worth it, but it, uh, I was prepared for the answer to be no, in which case, I don't know what would have, what would have happened but in, in fact we've been very careful about doing this at the highest possible level of of, uh, of quality that we can and i'm rather proud of that because a lot of people when they uh release their back catalog do it as, as you know do, do the dirt cheap and dirty version which is understandable why they do it but i we just uh decided that we were going to be as careful and uh and do it as 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 do as fine a job as it's possible to do. So that's what we did.
1: And there was a bit of the cosmic involved in this too, because a couple of those tapes were actually found under someone's couch that had been kicked under there, like what thirty years ago or something.
3: Yeah, that's right. That was at, at George Horn's room in uh, it with the, the former Fantasy Studios when just shortly before Fantasy closed down, I managed to contact him. I was freaking out because I just naively thought that I could just, you know, call someone up and say, Hey, I need the tapes. And that there would be, they would be, you know, someone would just delete the catalog where they could just put their hands right on it. Right. And, and so then I, I got a, I, after all of these, I mean, it was years of tracking them down and trying to find most studios where they, where some of them might've been left and gotten rid of their tapes long, long ago, the tapes tended not tend not to be labeled very well. And so the, a lot of them I think got lost that way, but I was just scrambling to, I was calling every single studio we had ever stepped foot in to see if there was any possibility that they could know where some of these tapes went. And George Horn, uh, I emailed him and he, uh, I was, you know, uh, pleasantly surprised to learn. He was still hanging in there and still working. Uh, he's been at it for, he's, he's a veteran that goes back to the early days of recording um and he he said yeah i found some tapes and they were they when fantasy got rid of all the tapes uh they were spared because like i said they were under the couch and uh i guess it was a couch that no one really looked under for a decade or more a couple decades what is going on there uh, where
1: nobody's ran a vacuum under that couch in 30 years
3: yeah, I think they just, I mean, George was just at his, uh, at his, uh, with his, he had his lathe and he had his, his desk, his board. And I think that was, he was a single minded focus on the audio, I guess. Uh, but. Um, I don't think he would have thrown away any masters. He's not a guy that throws away masters. Uh, But anyway, that was, so a couple of the tapes, that was how I found them. And there were, you know, there was a, uh, not any of the, not, it's not a Mr. T experience record, but my, the sole copy of my, of the mix of of any of the, of my solo album, both the multi-track and the analog tape mix has disappeared completely. I found a, that safety copy of it, uh, that because it had fallen into a boot, and what? um, yeah, it was in a it was in a boot that I was of my uh my that uh uh I was actually, you know, gonna put out on the street for someone who might like a some boots to get, and uh, <laughs> nice there was a tape in there. Lies
1: inside of that, there's and a song I, in my I, boot. Sorry, I had to. If I
3: hadn't happened to if I hadn't happened to pull that. That to, you know, investigate the boot more carefully, that record would have been completely lost. Uh, So there were it was a and it's still I'm still working at the archiving and the the uh, the indexing uh, on some of the more the the you know, more obscure things that, uh, I, I you know, it's, a, it's going to be a, uh, it's going to be years and years that this project is going to, is going to go through probably through the end of my natural life if I live the normal number of years. So, um, yeah, as a
0: producer, I can tell you it is a pain in the rear end to be doing all that because as soon as you get it all cataloged, you're going to be thinking, wait a minute, why did I put this song with those tag words when really this song could mean this other thing? Or what if I want to change this song and then put it in under something? Yeah. I feel you. Yeah.
1: We're coming up it. on 500 episodes now. So we have a hell. Oh of yeah. Right. There.
0: And I've produced them all. So I feel yeah.
3: <laughs> well, you know, I wasn't thinking about this at the time at all. Uh, and yeah. uh, labeling the tapes and organizing the tapes and storing the tapes. That wasn't my job. But if I could go back um, In time, if there was a time machine I could go back to 1986 And then to each of the the, each of the Subsequent records, I would bring a sharpie And I would just like steal in And just write on every tape What's on right. it Because that seems to be the thing I mean, It seems like you, the, the obvious thing to do But so much of this stuff, no one did that And I think that's one of the reasons Why some of the, the missing stuff is missing Because the studios, if it had Our name on it, at least they might have called us or our label, but if it's just a tape with nothing on it, how do they know? You know, they, they, uh, uh, and they don't know and they don't care. So, uh, that, that's been probably the biggest, uh, frustrating thing about it is, uh, and, and you can't, even when you have the tape, it's not like you can just tell what's on it. You've got it. These machines are antiques and it's a rare, you have to try to find a machine that will play, uh, these tapes in a non-destructive way. Usually, you have to assume, for safety's sake, that it's only going to play that one time, if at all, before disintegrating. So it's not like I find an unlabeled tape and I suspect because of what it was next to what it might be, but I can't check my intuition without organizing a whole uh, uh, rigmarole with, you know, archival rescue engineers and uh, and so forth. So it's a it's a big job.
1: Yeah, and nobody thinks about that stuff. I had a whole bunch of VHS tapes, and people were begging me. I was a guy who always brought his VHS camera and recorded all these shows, and I played in punk bands during the 90s. And I had all these VHS tapes. Same thing. None of them had labels. And I got one of these machines to convert VHS to DVD. And I was going through, and it was a lot of band stuff, nothing labeled. So I'm going through watching them through Fast Forward, labeling them. And then I'd run across like a random episode of Night Court that I taped like 20 years ago. And then I found one of my ex-roommate, a guy I didn't really know. He was the roommate of the guy I did know. And he moved out. He was in the Navy. I moved into his house. And it was like some band footage. And then all of a sudden, and this guy was quite a bit older. Like he was in his late forties when I was in my mid thirties. And all of a sudden he's, it's he had set the camera up himself and he was dressed like a cat. And crawling around on the floor, I was like, meow, meow. And it was just 30 seconds of that, and then it, like, static back out and went back into, like, some other concert in Virginia Beach that we played. And it was just, like, the, that just reminded me. It was, like, the most bizarre thing.
3: Yeah, who knows what's on some of these tapes. I don't yeah, know. Uh, for I, sure. One one day we're going to move into the next phase, which is to try to address the multi-track Uh, tapes and see if, because I do want some of the, the MTX Forever is sort of in shards was sort of the beginning of to sort of testing the waters to see what happens when we use these tapes for some, for doing full, uh, a full campaign of reissuing the old records. And there's some of those that really need to be remixed. And that's a, a, a further level a much further level of complication in uh, in working with the tapes because those are the ones where the machines are hard to come by and um, and uh, so I, that that's a whole that's be whole a whole yes, another it's adventure. A,
1: it is a huge. But I don't know tape. what's
3: I don't know what's on them. There may be songs I don't even remember, uh, which would be kind of interesting. There may be lots of embarrassing stuff on them. You know, it's just. Uh, uh, but None of
1: you pretending to be a cat.
3: No, probably no. That that's not my style. Uh, but it could be, there could be, there could be some of me, me doing other, uh, embarrassing things that, uh, you know, I mean, Lord knows I, when I think back on those recording sessions, a, a lot of them, I was just kind of, I was in a, I was in a, I was in a funny state of mind. I, my, uh, I was personally, Emotionally and psychologically, kind of uh, in in great chaos, and who knows what I was doing. I mean, so you can hear in some of those records, there's some craziness there, uh, at least on the level of the ideas, and uh, that's what made it onto the records. I don't know what's uh, what the uh, the filtered out stuff would be. So, which is it's going to be interesting. I'm bracing myself. Kind of like mining
1: for gold at this point. Uh,
3: I would hope that there would be some cool stuff that we would find. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I'm with all the content, I'm sure. All right, let's finish up with this because I know everybody is in chaos right now with what's going on. Is there anything coming down the pike as far as a brand new Mr. T Experience album?
3: Well, that, that's something that I would like to do, and I have uh, I've been honing the songs. I pretty much know the songs that would be on it, uh, and I would the 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 trick will be to figure out how to uh, manage to fund it and manage to make it a reality, which, you know, I'm, I'm uh, taking my time. We're, we're in a, uh, it's a, it's, there's a, a series of problems you got to solve to make that happen in this world of ours. Uh, and it will emerge at some point, but I can't give you a schedule.
1: All righty. Well, that is a great place to end. Dr. Frank, I cannot thank you enough. Another one of my like childhood big impact people that when i think about memories i got photo albums i'm insane with photo albums especially from back in those days and when i look through i hear these no effect songs like Drunken and uh, punk and drub was another one that was a soundtrack of my summer of 94 95 96 mm-hmm. and i hear the mr t experience songs when i'm looking through these pictures and i mean if there's one of me there's a thousand of me so that music has definitely had an impact in this world I, you know, I would all self-deprecation aside, I, I,
3: I know that that's the case. Uh, to my surprise, and thank you very much for saying so. And I'm glad that we got a chance to talk.
1: Right on. And before you get out of here, please tell everybody where we can find you on the interwebs.
3: i um, easy to find. Just search Dr. Frank. I've got a, I've got a publicly open Facebook, and I've got the, I'm on the Twitter and uh. That's the easiest way
1: to track me down. All righty, sir, you be safe. And thank you so much for spending 45 minutes with us. Yeah. Yeah. You, you guys have a good one. Alrighty guys. As I said, we are going to be out of here. Oh, I hope it's not more than a month. When Odell comes back, we are going to launch our 108th episode and we've got a lot of good stuff planned. We just have to get all this stuff under control and all these schedules under control. Right D
0: that's for sure. And I, Keep telling people, wash your hands, wear a mask, wash your hands, wear a mask, wash your hands, wear a mask.
1: Well, you know, some people to hear that. That's like, I will never do it because you said to do it.
0: Yeah, well. All right.
1: That's... Well, give me something positive. Let's end on a positive note. I'm not going down this rabbit hole.
0: Um, a perfect show to watch right now that you are on self-sheltering at home quarantine, whatever you want to call it, is The Good Place. It will help you feel happy, at least for a little while.
1: And Lego Masters is coming on, and that's a fun show, too. All righty, guys, we'll be back when we are back. You stay safe, America.
2: I still haven't found a.